Welcome back to another episode of the Underdogs, a podcast dedicated to covering the twists, turns, laughs, and tears of the Emmy Award-winning Apple TV series, Ted Lasso. In every episode, we do a brief episode overview, followed by a three-word episode review. Then we analyze what happened on the pitch, off the pitch, and the main theme of the episode, followed up with a little bit of pub trivia. And finally, crown the winner, winner, football dinner of the episode. Pretty easy. You'll be enjoying it. This one is season one episode five tan lines episode is pretty heavy emotional journey for a boy ted as he navigates personal and professional struggles nick and dan joining me as always welcome to the show gentlemen nick it was um a hard turn to the left based on where this season had been going yeah i think you could be forgiven for thinking that this was just simply going to be a comedy Right after the first few episodes uh, in the series, especially the laughs that the episode four brought to the table, which we had some fun breaking down. But Dan, this one, um, this one, I think when I if I flash back to when I watched it for the first time, I was like, oh, this is going to get deeper than that. (laughs) Well, you also get football in this one, too, for a show based around football. (laughs) You actually get to see some of it. And I know that's the harder stuff to film for any type of show, movie, the amount of fake sporting events that get critiqued over time for not following the rules is quite funny. And that's typically why, like, in a lot of shows, they'll just pull content from other types of sporting leagues and use it as, like, low-cost items to show off like a sport that they're referencing in a show so this was nice this was nice to see football again yeah definitely more of a balance in in this one um so uh as usual we like to do our three word episode review just kind of set the stage of where we're feeling based on how it all went uh before we get into the nitty-gritty uh i went with rainbows after storms um some of the rainbows we saw in this episode some we're still gonna be waiting for but you hope they are coming Dan, what about you? Look, it is a sitcom, and so I went with Many Family Matters. Uh, (laughs) By the way, Family Matters might be the most underrated sitcom of that that period in genre. I love that show. Hugely underrated. It absolutely does not get the plaudits or flowers that it deserves, and... The whether it's the personal family or the work family, there are a lot of issues going on right now that need some resolution. And uh, maybe a sitcom father figure should just get dropped in to help solve solve all of those right from the couch. Could you imagine Carl Winslow just dropped into the middle of this show? I mean, what a tremendous asset that would be! He uh, fixed everything. Oh, Thirty minutes done. Yeah, all happy ending. Uh, Dan, I can buy myself flowers, thanks. Um, but I'm going to go with work-life balance for this one. Uh, this is a, it's a tricky, uh, tricky old minefield for Ted to navigate in this one, and uh, I think there's quite a bit of uh, soul searching that is done during this episode for sure. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, but we always start with on the pitch, aka the football stuff. So the team is on the practice field to work on making the extra pass. Jamie is not happy about it. However, practice is canceled as soon as Ted's family arrives. Um, Quite interesting on the timing. Ted was doubling down saying, no, 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 we're going to run it and run it and run it. Oh, my family's here. Just kidding. Practice is canceled, which threw everyone for a loop. Yeah, I I will will quickly say on this that one of the more... um, 
you know, uh, preview driven things on this part of the episode is uh, Nate. So as soon as Ted starts running basically to the other side of the field, Nate and Beard go, that's a lot farther than it looks. And, and I think Beard goes metaphor. Uh, it's, it's, it's the moment where they're like, hey, we're aware we're in a TV show, but we're just going to kind of drop that in. There's a couple of in this moment, there's a couple of breaking of the fourth wall moments that happen. And and one of them is one of my favorite moments in the entire show coming up. But uh, Ted also goes, I thought you guys would meet me halfway to them, which I was like, oh, oh boy, this is uh, starting off very interestingly uh, on the practice pitch. Yeah, and obviously we get to see some of the football uh, here in episode five. Ted's family's in the stands. His emotions are on edge. Uh, Dan, he has a big pre-match dust-up with Jamie. Uh, unfortunately, gets interrupted by Henry. I think that was a, a good chance for Ted to really lay into Jamie with the shit he was spewing. But obviously he had to hold back once his son came in. Um, ended up with you know Jamie signing his shirt because he is the star player, which totally totally backed uh it's heading to a corner because that's what jamie said to him didn't he well just think about when you were maybe younger and you idolize someone who people are not all perfect individuals there are flaws throughout everyone's character and you as a child are not aware of those because you have a very tiny uh sliver to which in prism that you view this individual view and henry has the across the pond watching on NBC or Peacock or whatever streaming service that they were using to watch the games and views only what Jamie does in terms of goals and helping his dad's team win. And so his view is not tainted by what his dad knows, <laughs> what Ted knows, and that like this person is a very bad teammate to the individuals and that's where you get the jamie saying well how about you you and me make a deal ted says i'm listening you get to keep preaching all of your yeehaw bullshit in exchange i'll keep ignoring you because this team is tragic i scroll the goals and i'm the only one that they come to see which is quite the hammer drop nick yeah uh i mean we're gonna get into the to the reason why ted's on edge here as we get into the you know part two of this episode uh, why he's already kind of in his own feelings but this is uh it's open rebellion brandon i mean this is a player who's decided unlike roy who was maybe feeling this way a couple of episodes ago but has certainly come around to ted's style this is him saying no fuck you i'm not doing this I, i'm not a part of this team i am the team and that you know we've seen many instances of this in american sports throughout the years someone thinks that they're bigger than than the organization bigger than the team this is like the antithesis to what Ted tries to do with a squad. You're not wrong. Um, you know, me before we is not the way that uh, Ted is going for this. So, you know, again, some of the slanders, they get personal as well. You know, yeehaw bullshit. And it just, it really digs into personal attacks. And Jamie knows that, you know, in this situation, he feels like he has the advantage because he does score the goals, right? And and as we saw, that's literally what happened. So calls the team tragic, really just, you know, makes it obvious he's not going to play by Ted's rules, right? And so, like I said, a little bit of a bummer that Henry rushed in right that time because I was excited to see what Ted's response would be to such open mm. kind of like um, 
I guess, acting out and essentially being like, I'm going to do me. You guys let me know when you're ready. So anyways, as we get into the match, uh, they're playing Watford, which at the time was a Premier League team. Uh, They're Mm -hmm. not currently, but uh, they're up and down a little bit, just north of London there. Uh, They're losing 2-0 after six minutes in soccer. Look, that is tragic, right? Like That is bad. Like six minutes in, like you're just kind of getting going at that point. They're already down 2-0. The crowd are just chanting wanker. The pub (laughs) are chanting wanker. Everybody is upset. But of course, Jamie... To the rescue, right? Gets uh, one goal off of a nice, like, dribbling run. And then the second one, Sam Obisanya picks up a foul. Um, and he gets his free kick to to level it up. But there, Dan, him and Roy have a bit of an issue over the way Jamie is uh, treating or ignoring Sam, who's on the ground. Uh, didn't take too kindly to his um, lack of awareness. <laughs> no, it is... Uh... I, I think the point that we, we want to make here, Nick, is that like, you know, when you get to the point of a dust up between two players like that uh, on the same team, this is not a common coincidence. Like you will see occasionally a player getting frustrated because someone wasn't available for a pass or they weren't on the same page for a particular run of play. And that's usually where that ends because the end goal is to still win but this is a sitcom about football or football that is a part of the sitcom narrative and because of that there are going to be conflicts between players that take a different approach but this has happened before there have been players on the same team going to blows against one another during live matches yeah so so i'll just i'll support this by saying uh you know Jamie's positioning the free kick. Sam is still over the spot where he got fouled. He moves Sam out of the way. Roy comes over and tells him to support his teammate. Uh, him and Jamie get into it. They actually start fighting. They both get yellow carded. Uh, Roy's had it up to here with Jamie, right? And and even after their their last kind of make good session in the previous episode, where you know they cheers to Roy dying, basically, right? And they they had a laugh. This was right after this. So they're still not on the same page. Both of them get yellow carded. Arlo White in the commentary says that this hasn't happened since 2001 in Newcastle. I went and looked it up because I am that committed to the craft here. Uh, This actually happened in 2005 in Newcastle between uh, uh, Newcastle United and Aston Villa. Lee Boyer and Kieran Dyer were both sent off for an on-pitch scuffle between their own team uh, for throwing punches at each other. Uh, Brandon, I'm throwing this back to you because you have playing experience at a much higher level um, than uh, rec league at the University of Nebraska, which I participated in. I, I would assume that this happens during training, right? Frustrations can boil over, you, you know, you, you're you're in a slog in a, in a training session. It just doesn't happen very often on the pitch, probably. No, yeah, I mean, you got to be in game mode, right? You're trying to to make sacrifices to get the, the result on the day in the training ground. I mean, this is where you usually address or in the locker room after the match or at halftime is where things get addressed between players, usually not on the pitch because, you know, like in the Newcastle instance, they lost two guys. And in soccer, you don't get to replace them. So Newcastle are now playing with nine against Aston Villa's 11. And to see it looks like a, a young Gareth Barry here in the photo trying to from the <laughs> opposing team trying to pull apart the Newcastle players. 
it was just very farcical. But I think the point of like, this is Roy showing leadership because I, he's not wrong, right? Like, this is how you should be acting. This is how you should be supporting your teammates. This is how you should be. Uh, this is how you should be if you're a part of the unit, which he's clearly not. And his actions go right back to exactly what he told Ted in the locker room. So now, you know, they've got this situation um, with, uh, you know, with how they're going to handle this. They both get the caution, which is good enough. Um, and then, you know, Roy continues his captain, right, role, his leadership role, because he then goes and checks on Sam, <laughs> which is funny, because Sam's like, oh, no, no, I'm good. I just, there was all this commotion. I thought I should stay down, which is a little bit of soccer acting, you know, playing up the situation, which we've seen. The, this is the breaking of the fourth wall, right? This is the show communicating to the audience, especially those who have watched the game before, that they know what they're talking about, right? Roy goes, you all right, Sam. Sam says, honestly, it doesn't even hurt anymore, but everyone's making such a fuss. I thought I should just stay down. Which is correct. Roy, yeah, well, 100%. That's what you do. Roy says, no, listen, I'm going to pull you up. You're going to pretend to limp very badly, and then you're going to gesture like you think you can bravely go on. They'll love it. Amazing. Sam, oh, okay. It was, I mean, Dan, this is perfect to me. Like, there are very few moments in TV that are perfect. This is just one of those things that if you know, you know. Look, there's a lot of theater that goes into <laughs> a football match. And sometimes you see players try to sell a foul or to embellish some maybe? time. You know, they like to take creative license with what the reality of the situation is and how they view or want the situation to be viewed. And in some scenarios, like for maybe the team we've supported, we've seen a player go down, but then also drop a casual wink to let people know that it's not really bad. I just wanted the play to slow down. I wanted to change the element. I wanted to get the team back on our side. I wanted to rally support. And this is just a really great example of the writers and the production team understanding that this is something that happens and to frame it in the way that the players know about it and admit to doing it, which is things that you don't always hear or you do hear after they finish playing. You never hear about it in an interview from a current player who's active on a team. You hear about it someone five years, 10 years removed. It's like, oh yeah, we would do this. We'd do this all the time. <laughs> well, and it, it's, it works on so many levels, Brandon, because it, it works for those who know like we do, who watch it every week. And it works for people who think that all they do is flop, too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's it's just a perfect bit of TV for me. Yeah, oh, for sure. I, I Especially like as a soccer, you know, purist and the details of it, this was exactly it. He's telling clap to the audience like you can bravely go on. <laughs> Absolutely played to, to perfection. Um, but, you know, then Jamie does get his goal off the free kick, celebrates alone, keeps yelling me me ted's like oh i thought i was yelling meat <laughs> he goes <laughs> yours makes more sense talking to nate um and and it just kind of boils over after the second time you know with ted right and he just he has to do they something did the cut to the players who were like what is this cat doing so then it pans back to ted yeah and he's trying to figure out it doesn't sit right with him um, and in pure Ted fashion, you know, he he runs up the terraces, uh, gets up to the owner's box and asks Rebecca for permission to to bench Jamie, you know, and she says, you're in charge. Whatever you do, I support. And um, 
and it's funny. He uh, he runs back down, right? It, you know, very theatrically, and uh, takes him takes Jamie subs Jamie off with one minute before halftime. And again, if you know anything about soccer, like you just wait till halftime. But this is a fuck you. Moment. But he did it to make a point. I want everybody to watch you walk off the pitch. You don't get to hide in the locker room at halftime when everyone else comes out. Everybody's going to see this. And the fans were booing. Everybody was upset. Jamie's confused. Um, and even even Beard goes, oh, shit, <laughs> when he realizes what's happening. Because Ted didn't con- – he didn't ask anybody. The, the two the two leaders here, Dan, right, Roy on the pitch, Ted off the pitch. Roy can't sub Jamie off. Roy can just punch him in the face like he's already done, <laughs> basically. Like, that's, that's what Roy can control. Ted – Ted makes a big, big call here. And, and this team needs to win. Jamie scores goals, which can help the team win. But he's clearly not a fit within the way that this team is is playing um, and structured. And so you get two looks as Jamie goes off. Roy, who's like, oh, like Ted's not messing around. And Beard, who I think had questioned a little bit of maybe the fortitude around the decision-making given tab the like okay <laughs> here we go like now now we're stuck in now we now we're committed to this tactic and i think it was uh you know the first time where we see ted make one of those really big calls and a call that could be made in any sport so it's a a mm-hmm. leadership call or a manager call not necessarily something that has to be specific to football in terms of the uh, the, the non-American version of it, and um, so like that is you know where Ted is showing an ability to have like replicatable skill across different mediums, where a lot of it you know in terms of setting up the team and how to play hasn't always been something that we pointed to and said oh Ted is a master at this. We pointed to like well Ted knows people and knows how to manage and like this is an example of that element right there. So um, you know like I said big symbolic action big you know action being taken by coach and player kind of go from there so then you know it's halftime you you walk into the dressing room ted is in a different state than i think we've ever seen him you know the uh the upbeat no 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 don't worry it always work out kind of lasso is is gone and he invokes this emotion from within and just levels the team. I mean, nobody was ready for this. Not even Ted, probably. Yeah, I mean, it, it shows why he's a coach. He says, we got ourselves a tied game. Nice work. That's the first thing he says. And then he enters in with, fellas, we're broken. We need to change. And look, I know change can be scary. Most of the time, change is a good thing. Now, I think that's what it's all about. Embracing change, being brave, doing whatever you have to so everyone in your life can move forward with theirs. We'll get to that in a second in part two. Uh, right. Uh, you know, so he says he's referring to lady football. He's clearly referring to his marriage. Uh, and then he goes, uh, Sam, we're going to shift you to midfield for the second half. Something he's been insistent on in training to this point. And Beard's going to walk you guys through the rest of the changes. Oh, hey, 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 one last thing. And I want everyone's eyes on me when I say this. And he has complete control of this locker room for maybe the first time, right? Uh, He just goes and taps the belief sign and walks into his office. And then the rest of the team gets up. And I think 
is is laser focused here, Dan, on on the task at hand. Yeah, it's it's a re- it's a really great speech. You know, um, I, I think uh, it'd be be- it'd be better coming from Ted than uh, than than me <laughs> or something. In this Certainly result. from me. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think the the way that he leads into this and just gets into the like the lady football mention to me is like the best part of it like that he kind of embraces it like the lady luck and then football and the way he merges it together as this single identity of who that uh they're trying to make happy in this moment um but then he also does have a little bit you know we talked a moment ago about how he's been showing his iq from a cross-denominational element of sport to being able to say, hey, Sam, we're going to put you in the midfield for the second half. Beard's going to walk through the rest of the changes. And, like, this is, this is like, hey, you know, he made a decision to do something based on what he's seen in training. He, you know, he may have advocated off-screen or in, like, another part with it, but, like, this is showing him making footballing decisions on how the game is going to be played, which is an important evolution of his understanding because in the prior episodes he joked about like ah oh, you know nate's gonna nate knows more than uh, about this sport or has lo- forgotten a lot more about this sport than i'm ever gonna know yeah uh, for sure uh and and there's also separation of roles right like ted is manager he's managing the overall direction and vibe and then goes all right beard's gonna walk you through the details right Nate as well, a little bit as we start to see that. So um, 100%. And and this is kind of where you're like, oh, yeah, this is how a team exists and works. This is how the locker room, you know, should function. He comes in, boom, here's the motivation. All right, tactics. So anyways, um, we get back to the match. Arlo White, the announcer, noting that it's still tied 2-2 with only a few minutes left. Thankfully, they let us uh, skip past the boring part. <laughs> um and Richmond have done well without Jamie, which is probably the surprise here. So as it happens, Richmond do score the game-winning goal, uh, and it's all because Roy got in a great position, and he made the extra pass to a newly minted midfielder, Sam. Uh, just like they practiced, it's the last away, essentially. And uh, maybe it's becoming the winning way for this team, you know? Um, obviously, the announcer, Arlo White, reading out of the lasso playbook with... And Roy makes the extra pass, you know, yeah, and they just yeah, drive yeah. it home. But that's good. Yeah, the the respect that comes after this too is is you know a hearty handshake between Ted and Roy, right? And Roy looking at him in in almost admiration, saying, "It took balls what you did." And Ted going, "That's all we got is balls, Roy. It's all we got." Again. The transition between episode one and episode five, Dan, and, and the respect between these two people, I, I mean, I don't know if there's a a better 180 in the whole story so far. Like, it is completely different after just a few moments. I mean, just to reference back, I mean, the, the comment about, you know, just having the uh, the fortitude to be able to kind of adapt in that moment and to take the risk is, uh, is, is, I mean, again, it's just a really nice thing to see how Roy is being an agent of change. And that's allowing others like Sam to grow within his role, grow within his space. And, you know, I think you're starting to see others blossom as well, because again, it's a game played by 11 people, Brandon. And ultimately if the players are not buying in, 
and they're not seeing the change from the top, it's never going to change at the bottom as well. Obviously, when you win a game, especially the late winner, you get to celebrate, right? Obviously, everyone is is enjoying in said celebrations. Um, you know, the pub, the stadium. Again, Ted's family's there, so Henry gets to join him on the pitch, which, you know, for Ted to get you know, a result like this, you know, one of, you know, probably his first win for the, for the club, um, with his family there, you know, very, very special for him getting to share that moment with his son. Unfortunately, he also has to share the moment with his son asking what a wanker is, but, uh, (laughs) I think we'll let you guys do some digging on that, that, uh, you know, that's not for us to do. Um, you know, and then you get, get back to Rebecca who acknowledges that Ted might have the right stuff to be successful and gets a shit response when, you know, they win because this is going against her plan. You know, he is accidentally foiling at every stop. And uh, that's a lot of what happened on the pitch. A lot happened in this one for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is for a, a football show. Like Dan said, we finally got some football and that was fun. All right. Well, uh, we're going to take our ad break. When we get back, we're jumping right into the off the pitch stuff because whew, just as much happened on the pitch as off. So thank you to the sponsors and we'll be right back. Okay, well, off the pitch, a.k.a. the workplace stuff, uh, I guess we started episode five right where we left off in the last one. Um, Ted's wife and son are coming to visit, which, you know, he's telling everybody about because he's so excited. He's anxious and slams his head into a door because he's not looking up. Um, I I hate when that happens personally. Uh, Spills his feelings to an unexpected and uh, very unreceptive Rebecca. Uh, who has put her shields back up after the emotional gala experience. They kind of had that going back and forth. She's like, oh, are you opening up to me because I opened up to you? He said, yeah. She goes, lesson learned. <laughs> that was a mistake. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to notch that one away for future use. Yeah, yeah he, he's very um, uh, whatever. Anyways, um, so after, I guess, like, you know, kicking off from there, you know, anyone's going to be kind of a little jittery, a little excited, you know? Um, you know, I think we have a little bit of insight into where the relationship is, Nick, with the the little comment in episode four and, you know, obviously his chat with Rebecca, but, um, you know, he's even definitely a little bit looser than, than normal. Yeah. He's, he's excited. You know, I think, you know, we find out a lot more in this episode about what is driving him, um, you know, and, and all that stuff, which we will get to in a second, but it was a, a fun way to enter what ended up being a really heavy episode. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, then they quickly move on to Keeley, uh, headed back to Jamie's after they broke up. She's there to uh, return essentially his key because she's committing to this. She doesn't need it anymore. Uh, but she runs into a one-night stand, um, which she's a big fan in case you missed she's that, Dan. She's a big fan. She follows her on Instagram and Snap. Big, big fan. Um, funny little like back and forth right there though too, you know, like, she thanked Jamie for helping her get closure. Normally it takes her months, Dan, but he goes, you're welcome. And it catches her off guard a little bit. Jamie is dense. That is the, uh, that, that's the high, uh, the, the headline there. And, uh, for, for no one being surprised by that, it, uh, was nice to kind of see that, you know, Keely's continue making positive headways that, you know, ultimately, you know, kind of, takes us then into the promo shoot <laughs> which is uh quite quite the scenario i'm gonna i'm gonna rewind a little bit jamie's one-liner of what am i supposed to do shower by myself uh is just so good i mean he also goes <laughs> how long am i supposed to be alone for 
Because she's like, it's only been 24 hours. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, but yeah, you hear about that with footballers. Like that's that's basically the revolving door of, of what goes on there. But this is the the point in which we learn that Keeley's doing more of the PR stuff for Jamie than we originally thought. Like she had set up a whole promo shoot with Darsteiner beer, um, which is uh, not a real beer brand for those counting at home. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, she she also, you know, because he asked, he goes, well, you're still going to be there for the shoot. And she's like, oh, that thing I've been working really hard on for a long time. Like, yeah, I'll be there. So she has to put on the professional hat. They do the the, the promo shoot. It's hilarious. Um, you know, he's in there. Have you ever seen a brunicorn before? <laughs> you know, he's doing all his dumb stuff. Uh, you know, wants to make sure, you know, again, back to fashion and make sure his personal branding's right. Um, you know, there's a little bit of subtext of the broader Rebecca and Keely friendship that emerges in there. Rebecca asking Keely if she's still dating Jamie. Uh, no. And then offers her a job for doing PR for players, which, um, you know, you've got some quotes in here. I think there's some even better ones, but you know, Rebecca asks her, just give it a thought unless you want to carry on doing, what is it you do again? Keely goes, <laughs> well, I'm sort of famous for being almost famous. And then Rebecca says, excellent. Maybe think of it as a plan B. But go back to like the exchange, Nick, of like, are you just going to give me a job because I'm a girl? Yeah, men do it all the time. <laughs> yeah, that that was funny. They they obviously go through uh, a bunch of job-related puns, which I'll, I'll spare you uh, on that front. But it's a, uh, yeah, it's like a really interesting, again, this has happened very fast. There's only like two, two episodes of timing between Keely just being an annoying mosquito around Rebecca to them being so friendly that Rebecca wants her to do a job, Dan. Like, it just, it, it seems like it's like, oh, wow, these two are, are really tight now. Definitely tighter than they were in the the first few episodes. We've gone from feet on the couch to job offer opportunities and everything in between. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a nice, it's nice to see it's almost like the a more extroverted version of the relationship that Ted and Beard have that you now have this Rebecca and Keeley relationship on the non-footballing side that has formed and so you're getting getting these pairings now on and off the pitch that are producing some some really seminal moments for the characters. Yeah. Um another one, you know, right away is um you know Jamie tries to seduce Keely, asks her to come over to look at the photos together naked. Um, she shuts that down. Roy comes over to offer unsolicited advice, which Keely throws right back at him. Very, very quick and witty. Uh, their interest is beginning to show. Um, after practice, Higgins lets Rebecca know that the next match won't be sold out as he apologizes. And she says, like, why is that a bad thing? continuing to try to drive home her plan to ruin the club for Rupert. Um, and then I guess like lastly, you know, Nick, they go to the pub, Ted takes the family, they go to the pub. Um, obviously they're, he's greeted one way, the family's greeted another way. Uh, and it was just a fun little kind of, um, you know, insight, a little bit quieter of where you get to see the, La the Lasso family for a little bit. Yeah, this is like family time, like the first family time we get to see after they were on the practice pitch, right? And, you know, it, I love I love Baz. The minute that he walks in, when are you going to win a fucking match, you fucking wanker? And then and then Michelle comes right in, and Ted <laughs> Ted looks at her, or, or Baz goes, oh, 
hello, Mrs. Lassett. Like, he's like, oh, shit, I didn't realize. And then Ted's like, she's a coach's wife. She's heard everything. It's fine. Yeah, like, she's we're like, all, we're all good. Nice backtrack. He calls him out <laughs> on it. Well, to, to be fair, college coach. So maybe he's heard maybe a little less in terms of what's been heard in the locker room. You know, just a thought. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, it's it's a it's a bit of a, an odd duck, right? I mean, they you know, Henry goes over and hits, uh, you know, one of the regulars with a dart, you know, after he's giving steel tip darts for some reason that doesn't seem very safe. Uh, and then, you know, you get the the first real sign that the conversation is going to change. Right, Dan, like the the awkwardness between Ted and Michelle in their alone time without Henry there is like, ooh. Things are maybe not so good here. Yeah, like they talk a little bit too long about newspaper wrapping the fish and chips. Yeah. and there, There's a lot of filling the space to not allow for the silence to then create the avenue for talking about the thing that they're avoiding talking about. Yeah. Yeah. They, they go home, uh, build the double-decker Lego bus as a family, seem to be doing all right. But then the next day, Michelle has that breakdown and – um, they try to have that conversation, you know, in the living room. And again, Henry's always around, so it's really tough for them. They can't really open up on anything because, you know, he's there. Um, but, you know, as Ted grapples with what appears to be his dooming marriage, uh, we encounter Ted in the office chatting with Nate and Beard about his issues. Uh, we learned that Ted taking the Richmond job was about giving Michelle space, which it was a ton of space. Um, he said, quote, I think, you know, Nate asked him, he goes, hey, can I ask you a personal question? And, you know, Ted, of course, is like, yes, please. Like, I love that. You know, he asked him why he moved away, you know, from his family to come take the job over here. And Ted said, quote, I think at some point I realized that me being around so much was doing more harm than good. Like anytime I tried to solve any of her problems or do something sweet for her, it would just backfire. And then she and the therapist we were working with decided that maybe the best thing to do would be to give her a little space. And so... Um, well, I gave her thousands of miles worth of it. And that's kind of where he really just nail on head, like Band-Aid ripped off, like, here it is. This is what's going on. Yeah. And and it, it now, like, this whole thing makes a lot more sense now, right, Dan? That, you know, a guy's never coached in the sport. It, it wasn't about the sport. It wasn't about the sporting challenge. It wasn't about pushing himself as a as a coach or a mentor, it was it personally, it was a personal reason that he, he left and decided to take on this like wacko challenge. Well, they never make a major life decision in a moment of crisis. Ted did exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> and some of it's going well, but the relationship part, the primary part that, you know, usually brings joy to most people is not going well. And so, I mean, you get the, assembly of some individuals a council of elders as it were mm, mm -hmm. named to be disclosed in the the future to come together to try to give him some guidance some peer guidance from individuals who might be able to weigh in on a situation that he alone is not grappling with well and this this is the really interesting part right because he looks up to higgins uh, so Higgins enters after Beard and Nate had been kind of the primary counsel. Ted asks Higgins, Brandon, you mind if I get your take on some, something? Higgins is kind of taking it back. Like, yeah, of course. Like, I've never been asked to give my opinion about anything here. Like, you know, he's kind of run over from a leadership standpoint. He says, it's very exciting to be uh, invited to the inner sanctum, um, team lasso, as it were. Uh, Ted says, you and the missus, you guys have been together a while, Yeah. 
Higgins says, oh, yes, 28 years, five boys, three dogs, one 20-year-old cat whose impending death will wreck me emotionally, and one small house that manages to fit us all in it. Ted says, that sounds like a full life right there, but I assume y'all have had your fair share of hard times. Higgins says, did you not hear about the five boys, tiny house, dying cat part? That's the thing, though, isn't it? If you're with the right person, even the hard times are easy. And then Ted, of course, with his his funny quip at the end, someone called 911, I want to report a truth bomb. And then Beard taking it the step further. I think they use 999 here, right? I love that. So it, I love the explanation. Just, well, that's a little bit dangerous. Kids could die. Like, yeah, that is crippling our system. Again, like, <laughs> you know, a serious point that just tan, just quick tangent into like something funny and lighthearted again. And if you don't take a moment, you're going to miss that. Right. And, right. and, and they, that's how they're really sneaky on you with the show. It's like, if you have to be so locked in because you're just going to think there was a funny joke in there, realistically, you know, Higgins did drop a truth bomb in there that was, you know, great. Well, and it's also like pretty clear subtext that Ted's not with the right person, right? The hard times are are not easy right now. They're very, very hard. They aren't connected. So, it, you know, I think this, instead of making him feel better, Dan, which is maybe the reason why he wanted to talk to other people, he comes out of this probably feeling worse than he did previously. Well, then you get the move forward to the actual breakup happening, and it is, like any breakup, rough. And it is... To be a spectator of a breakup is not a enviable position, just as much as not enviable to be in the position of being the one breaking up or being the individual being broken up with. And yeah, I mean, you get a little bit of uh, Mumford and Sons in the background as well, which, uh, you know, shout out to the title track in that moment, too. There's a lot of love for uh, E. Old Mumford and Sons in this uh, in this show, in this writer's room, in this production company. Um, but the, the quote Brandon is, uh, is pretty, pretty rough. Yeah. Um, you know, again, like, I don't know if he's expecting all this to happen, but you know, they're only there for three days or whatever. You know, we think this is a lot to like take on process and like react to in a short time, knowing that she's about to leave. Um, you know, when he said to her, I promised myself I would never quit anything in my life. She says, you're not quitting, Ted. You're just letting me go. And, like, I want to cry at that point. Like, heartbreaking. You know, I could never imagine that. I hope I never have to. And you just sit there and you're like, damn. You know, like, this is real-life stuff. This isn't a feel-good show. This is, like, this is the real world, and it's raw. And we're going to touch on serious things, and they do. And this is just one of many, but, like, Man, it hits you in your feels. It does. And then it's juxtaposed with Roy and Keeley at the start. Uh, yeah. Right? Cre- Which creepy is really Roy. I think we should clarify. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The in the in the car park, Roy. But yeah, the uh look, I, I think that was a really good bit of filmmaking, right? They're going through this incredibly emotional moment. It's raining. incredibly emotional music. Yeah, it's just all dour and sad. And then you get the reverse on the other side with two different people who are at a different stage of their, of their life and journey. And, you know, I I think that is fascinating. I also think that beard is a superhero in this moment, right? So it happens, the breakup happens, Ted sends them on their way, Dan and, and beard just shows up, right? He's there when Ted needs him 
brings him a beer. They just drink silently outside of the pub on a bench. And that's all that needs to happen there. You don't need to counsel. You don't need to do anything. You just need to be there and present. Sometimes all you need is just someone there to be in the, uh, the be in the pits of it all with you. And Beard is very aware of his role as a friend first and assistant second in terms of how he can support Ted, who spends all of his time talking. And so if Ted doesn't want to talk, you shouldn't be filling the void with your own words. All right. Well, again, um, you know, I wish I had Heavy. a friend to bring me a beer sitting outside. <laughs> Perfect timing. Uh, but that's off the pitch. So, uh, look, we're not done yet. We're going to take that a break. Uh, when we kind of come back, we're going to really break in to the, the main theme. We got the pub trivia and obviously winner, winner, football dinner. Thank you to the sponsors. We'll be right back. Whew. Marathon of an episode. Wow. I don't know how they keep it to 45 minutes. We definitely will not hear. Uh, but the main theme we really pulled out was functioning depression. Ted has a lot going on in episode five. He's dealing with his marital issues, player issues, Rebecca issues that he actually doesn't really know about. This is the first time we see him rattled in the series outside of the bubbly water in episode one, which, you know, really wasn't that big of a deal compared to where we're at right now. Nope. He's angry, sad, probably depressed, however he finds new allies in Higgins and Roy throughout the episode to fill some of the gaps, gaps left behind by Michelle and Jamie. He guides the team to their best result, uh, yet by making bold choices, which means he's positively reinforced to continue to make them, and he's earning the team's respect despite increased pressure and negativity by the supporters. It's almost as if this juxtaposition was brought to light for some kind of reasons. Anyways, gentlemen, functioning depression. Uh, Ted's getting it from both sides. Thank gosh there's some positivity to go along with it because it's a lot, Nick. It's a lot. Yeah, it, it's the... You know, I think for anyone who who's gone through depression, it's it work can sometimes be an escape, right? From from what's going on in your head, and so applying yourself to something that you feel like you have control over is is a way to to help massage the the rest of of the stuff. And so, I I don't think it was a mistake, Dan, that he had his best coaching moment in the middle of dealing with the rest of this stuff because happy-go-lucky Ted was not that the Ted that we got in this one. No, it just shows the importance of being in touch with both elements, right? That Ted has indexed so hard to paper over other issues that he was positivity personified. And now he's being challenged with the... The, the bucket with a few cracks in it now has a couple holes and it is not built to the task to handle everything personally and professionally that is happening. And so he makes a choice to, you know, embrace a little bit more of the totality of who he is. And that means taking in some of the bad and finding ways to push that out and maybe not always in the right way either to take it out. You know, like the, the move to take out Jamie was clearly one of being upset, but also it was the right thing to do. So you can do the right things in these moments, but that is not always the case, Brandon. And so you, you get to see a real roller coaster of a journey for Ted during this episode. Yeah, you're not wrong. That is that is for sure. Um, all right. Well, we've got Crown and Anchor Pub Trivia as always. Fan favorite. Uh, get a lot of responses on these things, which are fun. Again, weird questions, observations. 
This one, with all the density of the emotion and the roller coaster, had probably the most that you could have pulled out of this one, Nick. And I think because the big things were there, these just whoosh, right over our heads. Didn't even see them. You gotta, yeah, you gotta rewatch this one for sure. Uh, leading off with the uh, with the breakup, where did Ted and Michelle meet? We know they met in college, but there's a specific place that they met at college that felt like a coincidence to them. So that's question one. Question two uh, is <laughs> is kind of a uh, a weird one, but it happens at the very beginning of the episode. Is what disease does Higgins' wife wish on Rebecca for treating him so badly? Uh, that's kind of a, a cheeky, funny one. Uh, the third one is my favorite of this bunch, and that is what is the English translation for the Chinese tattoo on Jamie's arm during the promo shoot? That's where you would find the answer to this one. Uh, super funny and very Jamie. I think we mentioned dense earlier. This is one of those moments. Uh, question four. There's a specific uh, number rattled off for how many miles Ted is away from home. Go find that number and you will have the answer to this uh, part. We intentionally left that out of the of the scripting earlier. Uh, so that's question four is how many miles is Ted from home? And question five. Who is the U.S. president mentioned in this episode? Uh, Coach Beard does quite uh, quite the <laughs> impression uh, on, on that one. So, look, just they're they're kind of fun. We, we, I wanted to make these fun and not dour because the episode was a little uh, heavy. For sure. Um, all right. Any any surprises that stood out in this one? I mean, I, again, I think we got hit with a lot of different angles, but they tied everything together pretty pretty well. I don't know, Dan. You seem to be bursting there with those pursed lips. <laughs> Richmond won a game. <laughs> I mean, like that is that is a part of it too. Going two nil down in football, there's a cliche that it's like the hardest lead to maintain. That is actually not factually accurate. Is actually I think like 16 teams ever have actually been able to come back in the Premier League and win a game when they're down two nil. So like to come back and do that with the extenuating circumstances of your teammates fighting one another is a really impressive result. This would be, there's a program on, in England called Match of the Day where they will recap the entirety of the Premier League weekend for people to take in the major highlights. This would have been the top game, bar none, unless someone else had had like dugout clearing fights amongst their teams and massive like 10-0, you know, score lines. Like th this would be the top headline there. So I think Richmond winning and in the way that they did, that is the thing that actually would require the largest disbelief to be checked to allow it to move forward. But it's a great plot device, Nick, to get us there. 100%. I'm going to go a little weirder. And Ted brings uh, Henry, his son, a scone and said that it's like a biscuit, except it sucks all the spit out of your mouth. And that is 110% accurate. Uh, scones are a tough eat, man. They're delicious, but they are uh, uh, as dense as Jamie is up top. That's all I'm going to say. All right. Well, uh, the moment everyone's been waiting for, winner, winner, football dinner, who won the episode? You guys have been pitching me on your sides, and I've been giving equal and fair decisions up until this point. There's nothing to argue about. What do we do? It's Ted. Hands down. Yeah, no one has a better episode. I, I think, Dan, uh, where I would go is if we were giving out second places, which we don't do here, because um, if you're not first, you're last. Uh, Higgins would be a very close second for me because of the 
uh, conversation that I think allowed Ted to refocus on what his issues are. And that that uh, Higgins little blip is not an accident. We're going to see that in future episodes that he is uh, a wise sage uh, in the group. You need some stabilizing influences with characters who are as big and broad. There need to be a few that are a little bit more narrow and dependable to help be bumpers to guide the ball, uh, guide the ball down the lane. And Higgins does that uh, exceptionally well in this episode. I think you also could, again, maybe maybe Roy would have been an option for how he led on the pitch with with Sam and kind of supported there. You know, kind of moving forward with you know Keeley as well. I mean, like, there, there was a lot of positive m- movement there. So I mean, you could you could try to make a case, but it's it's a losing argument. We're, you know, no one is going to convince us otherwise that it's not tech. You know, I think almost just for the the on field decision and the management and the halftime talk alone, right, probably seals it for Ted. You know, and because I think on the pitch he won big time. Off the pitch, he took a lot of blows until the very end, right? And even like the win isn't really a win probably for him anyway. So, um, yeah, it's a clean sweep. Ted Ted rocks this one. He's up to three now. So he's uh, early lead. We'll see how things shake out. Plenty of more to come. Uh, but that's it for episode five, right? Episode six is next up. You know we'll be here once you get to it. Don't you worry about it. And uh, I'm excited to see where that one goes after a heavy, heavy episode five, Nick. Heavy. Yep. We're, we're getting into the back half of season one, which I think is tremendous, tremendous TV. So I'm very excited to, uh, to get stuck in on six to 10. All right. That's it for this episode of the underdogs. Please connect with us at pod underdogs on social media to continue the chat there. And if you'd be so kind as to take 15 seconds to leave us a five-star rating and review, that would mean the world to us. We'll see you on the next episode.